ADT professionally installs Google Nest products, helping to make your home safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security system from virtually anywhere. And with Nest Cams and Nest Doorbell, you get intelligent alerts on what matters most. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get down for eSports! Hello and welcome to Nerf This, the esports show that uh, can't find a proper host, I guess. <laughs> I'm Seven. I'll be back. Or I will be back. I'm already back. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm back again this week as Brian uh, wanders around the globe, around Europe, uh, probably complaining about flights and such. Uh, but joining me is actually the glue of the show, our producer, Jules Scott. How's it going, Jules? Hey, Seven. I had so much fun with you last time that we're going to do it all again this week. And I'm super excited. I had fun last week. I know a lot of people are probably thinking like, how has he still got a job? How is he still you know, running the show? Uh, those are all good questions. And I hope we don't find any out, any answers this week. So um, <laughs> especially after that whole you porn thing that we talked about at the very, very end of the show, it definitely derailed as we got towards the end. Uh, but this week we have a uh, really... I mean, I wouldn't say it was like a crazy, crazy week, but we had some awesome stuff going on. Uh, Team Solomid gets some uh, amazing amount of funding thrown their way. Uh, the Overwatch League Finals, that was just took over the weekend. Uh, Vainglory is kind of out from under its shell saying, hey, we've pivoted. Uh, PUBG's creator, still still not sold on them being esports ready. And Hearthstone has its first one-star master. So, Jules, let's go ahead and kick it off. Uh, the very first story we want to talk about is Team Solomid raising $37 million in funding uh, and backing thus far uh, from Stephen Curry and and others. I mean, it's a, that's a crazy amount of money for someone who is basically a 26-year-old CEO, built this uh, company, uh, this esports group, using his own cash sell, from selling guides online when he was 17. Uh, I mean, Andy's done some amazing things there, and to get $37 million from such a a crazy group of people. Uh, I'm not saying crazy because they gave him that much money, but there's <laughs> some names here, obviously. Absolutely. And I admittedly had not heard about Andy Din before. Um, it was an interesting read for me to, to learn where he came from and how he got there. Um, using cash that he, that he made selling online guides for league of legends. He switched from being uh, a pro player to management and now he can go out there and at 26 years old, raise $37 million in a round of funding. And I I am so envious I could spit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you want to be that person. I, mean, I get it. I get it. Right? I mean, we do really cool things. We do. I mean, podcasting, esports, like, it's we do really cool stuff. I don't do that kind of cool stuff. <laughs> and that's pretty darn impressive. Um and he's only 26 years old. So um, I love that what we're seeing is that mm-hmm. these are organizations that are and and investors that are feeling comfortable with the world of esports to the point that they're giving them that much money to work with. And so I I think this is awesome. I, I 
more power to them. Go solo mid. Like, I want them to take what they've got and turn it into something pretty amazing for esports. Yeah, it's definitely a good pickup, especially since uh, I believe it was last week we also saw another uh, Yahoo's ex-CEO, I think. I'm forgetting her name off the top of my head. but um, uh, and, and now we see Jerry Yang, who's a co-founder of, of Yahoo, is one of the people backing Team Solomon. So Yahoo is all about esports, even though they lost their actual esports division, I guess. But uh, it's... It's cool to see that they're investing in TSM. It's a brand that has been around, you know, for some time now from an esports right. standpoint, um, and it's very, very well known. They have their their own um, League of Legends team, admittedly having some issues, but the money is there. And it sounds like if with this kind of investment, that this kind of investment is going to probably push them to Overwatch. Like this is going to be a a, a way for this team or this brand to expand outside of League of Legends. Um, into maybe even things like CSGO. My guess with $37 million, though, we're looking at Overwatch League kind of stuff. Yeah, and we're going to get into that a little bit more as we talk about Overwatch League and everything that happened in the last, like, seven days. But there's no chump change anymore to no, get an Overwatch no. League team. You've got to be a big player to play in that in that division. Yeah, and $37 million is, and that's their first round of funding, and that's huge, huge. I mean, a lot of times right. we've seen in the past maybe $4 million, $8 million, $12 million. I, I can't remember $37 million being a jump in of this size, and that's just a lot, uh, really, to be – for a team to continue its current operations, that is that is definitely growing and getting into other leagues kind of money. You know, they are involved with, uh, I believe, with, with Westlake. So we've seen them in other leagues, leagues in some of the the smaller um, esports kind of areas. I guess you could say like PUBG has a, a group for TSM. They also have some stuff, I believe, in Paladins. Uh, so they're here and there. I mean, they're, they've expanded outside of League of Legends already, but they don't have any kind of like blockbuster, like lead teams like they do just in, in League of Legends. And so that's more than likely where they're going to expand out of, continue that, and maybe even use that to kind of build up their team even more because they've they've had some rough spots. <laughs> I mean, basically any any NA uh, League of Legends team hasn't really done the best uh, on the right. world stage, I guess you could say. So that's really, really cool. I always love to see esports expand. The influx of money like that size, though, is a bit scary. It's a bit really cool, but also very, very scary, depending on what side of the the coin or the $37 million you're on, I guess. (laughs) Well, more power to them. I want to see what they're going to do with it. I want to see what what they're going to turn it into. And it it only paves the way for more uh, esports organizations like this to be able to make these major funding rounds work for them. So I, I let's go. Like, TSM, <laughs> let's go. Now, speaking of expansion in the realm of esports, uh, we're not getting into Overwatch just yet, but want to kind of talk about the Harrisburg University revealing their esports team that they've decided to go with. While, it, I mean, school's getting into esports, is still relatively new and kind of awkward, and sometimes it's that, that kind of, we just want to draw people in uh, as yeah. for, to get applicants and so on and so forth. But they're actually taking a, a pretty far. I mean, they're getting full athletic scholarships. They're giving stipends. They're giving housings. Uh, and they're actually looking to host tournaments, tournaments, which is mm-hmm. pretty crazy. Um, and they're also looking to compete in League of Legends and Overwatch, hoping to get like 50K. So there's a lot of cool things going on there. They're not just saying we're going to create one team and kind of maybe back it in a Tespa sort of way. They're kind of going all out. 
Right. And uh, this is this is kind of the trend that we've been seeing. We've been seeing schools start to offer esports programs. We're seeing st- esports scholarships this is now the the esports varsity team like you could seven, yeah. you could have lettered in esports like crazy. come on crazy in that nuts <laughs> where was that when we were in school i mean i could have lettered in pac-man probably but <laughs> i was pretty darn good at pac-man i gotta say even now you could put me in front of a miss pac-man machine and i will remember the pattern that i used to do back when i was you know, seven or eight years old, but so, I digress. So, yeah, Jules, um, <laughs> on the show, we try not to date ourselves because everybody will know. Like, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> My middle initials are OLD, I, so I, I'm just gonna go with it. <laughs> I, I, I I knew dirt when dirt was this high, so it's been a while. Um, but <laughs> yeah, move on. This, it's actually really really cool to think that you can you could uh, letter in esports. Uh, you can actually have e- playing esports fund your cur- your uh, college education. It's we we've talked about it here on the show every once in a while, but it's just expanding more. And I feel like Harrisburg is into it. They're doing it the right way. It's not just yeah. um, some kind of fluff piece where they're like they have one team of maybe five people or two people, or they're kind of half into it. Like speaking to some of the TESPA people, like UCLA doesn't actually have an actual esports program mm-hmm. uh i think i talked to um boise state and they do and they're actually really into it so it's just really weird to be at like again that hearthstone tournament and seeing both teams the ucla team borrowing the overwatch team's jerseys <laughs> just to be so that they had representation essentially but there's nothing more than just it's viewed as like a group that meets but isn't yeah, actually sanctioned it's a club. But, yeah it's just it's not even sanctioned so it's really uh, good to see some colleges or universities moving in that direction. Uh, and props to Harrisburg for doing even hosting tournaments, which is awesome as well, because that's what we yes. also need. See, you can have everybody have tournaments, but if nobody's or sorry, everybody have teams or half-assed teams and then there'd not be any kind of tournament. And I think that's also what's lacking is a good, solid tournament structure. Tespa does what they can do, but they only right. do it in a couple different games. And, I think it's something we need to see more of. And we need to see cross-pollination. I think we've talked about it before, too, is college teams playing against pros because that's the only way it's going to ever make sense, I think. Yeah. And if you talk about Harrisburg uh, University, they're also putting together this tournament called Harrisburg University Esports Tournament. And that's inviting uh, was it 20, 32 college varsity esports teams from across the nation? That's yeah. encouraging it. It's yeah. encouraging the formation of these squads, the teams to come together. They're playing League of Legends and Overwatch. They're giving away a grand prize of $50,000. I mean, as a poor college student, $50,000, that's that's just like incredible money that you could win while being, while playing for your college team. And I love that it's changing. I love that it's being promoted and kudos to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, man. They just, they're embracing the esports culture and they're fostering it. And that is what we need in order for it to grow. Yeah. Yep. Indeed. I agree from uh, all the, the, the points that you made from when we started the show. We're good. So far, so good. Yeah. We'll keep good then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I don't know where I was going with that, but let's just go ahead and move on. So the Overwatch League finale was this weekend. The grand finals happened this weekend over uh, Saturday and Sunday. And 
what just an amazing sight to see in that Barclays Center. I mean, we, I mean, to tune in to see that many people. We knew that it was sold out for a while, but you never know, like the atmosphere it's going to happen. But I saw pictures of people like totally in cosplay running around. Uh, there was pictures of like fans essentially like with uh, Barclays Center staff, and they were just like teaching them what esports were and about Overwatch. And it was really neat. Even the NYXL had a little side event going on um, yeah. because I guess they assumed that they were going to win it or be there. Uh, but they had a little uh, shop that they had rented out. Uh, they did a kind of like a pop up there and they sold some gear and they had a line like around the block to even get in. So just mm-hmm. uh, it became more than just a single little tournament. It became an entire just takeover event of part of New York City, essentially, uh, to to be all about overwatch just i mean even one of the guys i I follow on twitter said how crazy it was to be in Times square and see his like graphic design work for the overwatch league plastered on giant leds everywhere he says this is just surreal the fact that like that's my work up there in front of all these people on the giant building like this is nuts and so it's cool that an esport from an esports standpoint we're here and it's not just we, we've had big events like we ESL one cologne ESL even one New York. We've had huge events, but they've been centered around just a game and it's just a tournament. It's not a full blown atmosphere that is just all encompassing of just the city itself as well. And I think they just went all out and they did incredibly, incredibly well. It was an it was actually one of the most amazing things that I have seen so far in terms of. I was actually surprised and and I and I don't know why I was surprised for this grand finals mainly just because I wasn't expecting it to be so completely embraced most esports most esports organizations and and um events seem to be kind of like either it's drawing in your favorite teams or it's not and then people are like yeah it's cool that we're going in but you're going to see like fans of like the major teams come in right. And all I saw on Twitter, I had a bunch of friends who were there, so I was following what they were talking about, and then just in general, is how loud it was in there, how hyped the crowd was, how electric the atmosphere was, and and how it was beyond any other esports event. And, I mean, we're talking about comparing it to things like the International, and, you know, like... I've seen some of yeah. those streams and wondered like how the energy feels in that room. And they're saying, no, this was better. This nice. was even more incredible selling out the Barclay center, um, taking over the whole thing. And it was really, really cool to see it. And it mm-hmm. was, it brought in fans from places that not necessarily were like, yeah, yes, they had a lot of New York fans cause it was their hometown, but people who are fans of all the other teams were there right. to support the overwatch league which is so cool yeah it was awesome yeah they would do a panel of the crowd and you'd see you know boston shirts you'd see uh the gladiators were there as well like you just saw people who were just backing overwatch league itself not just not necessarily just like the regionality of it and i know that yeah i think you had mentioned there was like a a bunch of like you know people were were bust in from philly and mm-hmm. just so much, I mean, was just – Philadelphia and New York City pretty close in, in terms of being able to, like, get there, right? And so uh, having – that was about as close as you could get, I guess you could say, uh, unless yeah. you're NYXL is to actually having a home team in terms of regionality. But regionality didn't seem to play play too much into this. I mean, everybody was just 
uh, into this whole finals. The stage was beautiful. Production was like spot on. Yeah. It's it's weird to see it go across two days. I'll admit. Um, yeah, that's the yeah. only thing that I thought was kind of awkward. I was like, okay, I'm hyped, and I forgot like how until like halfway through. I'm like, oh, wait, this is day one. This isn't like it's not going to be figured out. Like it's it's got two days, which is good. I mean, that kind of takes. Uh, I guess you could say a card or it takes from like NBA and having, uh, again, multiple games being played. The NBA finals are that way. It's like a best of seven kind of thing. So in this case, in the future, it kind of sets precedent. And that's what I was thinking about is it could essentially be like a three day event, right? Or mm-hmm. um, where you're playing in one city and then the other and then another one again, depending, right? I I thought it was good. Uh, I don't really have any downsides to it. I know that there was the numbers were acceptable what they wanted. I guess we topped out. I guess you say was it around like three hundred plus thousand, almost three hundred fifty thousand viewers. I think on day two for the grand finals. Is that what it was? Right, and then the the entirety of the broadcast had a global average minute audience of eight hundred and sixty one thousand, and that's tallied across Twitch, MLG, Chinese streams, broadcast right. audiences on ESPN and Disney. Um, so, but only two hundred and eighty nine thousand of that audience came from the United States, right? Which is an interesting, you know. Of course, you look at the Chinese audiences and they just blow everybody else out of the water. Um, to go back to what you were saying before, I, I was talking to Brian when he was in um, London this weekend and he was watching. He's a huge London Spitfire fan. If you've listened to the show, you know this. Um, so he was trying to watch it as best he could on hotel Wi-Fi. And we couldn't figure out why it was across two days either because they played it was the best of three matches and they played one match on Friday and then the other match on Saturday going to a third if they needed to if it was tied up on Saturday and the momentum like never got going in terms of like the super hype on Saturday at least to me I didn't feel like we didn't lead into that and we were saying in our discussion that it really should be if you're going to do a two-day two-day event that you should have the semifinals go on at the event so you're bringing four teams in and they they do get out to get down to two and then you're winding up getting that time to actually see the competition you're drawing in more fans and it becomes even more of a hypey event that's kind of how I saw it. And I agree to that to some point. I think what we run into a lot is that within esports, we generally don't know what it, exactly it, it is from a time standpoint that the game is going to last. Now, Overwatch League, they, under, they have a, a pretty solid handle on it. They've done four stages. They have an average length of time that they're probably going to hit. They've been pretty solid about that. But it does, when you're playing a best of, and you're trying to do it within one to two nights, I think earlier I said Saturday, Sunday, I meant Friday, Saturday. But when you're trying to do it within two nights, uh, or even three, or an option of a third, it becomes a little difficult. It becomes a little weird, especially when you're trying mm-hmm. to sell out, like, do we still have a third day? Do we still have the venue for that day? There's a lot of logistics involved. And uh, and, and if you're not willing to do, essentially, uh, two games on the first day, but you're willing to do two games on the second, it just doesn't play out well. It's, it's kind of right. difficult to do. And so I think that's just a challenge that esports has around... It, it, Irregardless of game, right? I mean, CSGO, we see that problem where people are playing two matches in the same day, and it's kind of a killer from a momentum standpoint or just from a fatigue standpoint. And so I think those things 
are, are still details that need to be ironed out. Maybe it's not even a fact that they play a, you know, two or, or sorry, a, a best of three, but maybe they play a longer set and that's just it, right? So maybe you get to see the teams rotate more in that sense. So you're playing instead of uh, playing to three points, essentially, you're playing to like five or you're playing to six. And so you go across multiple maps so you can see more of the pool of players. Um, right. And so maybe that's maybe that's a good thing to do. I, I don't know. There's It's just something that has to be figured out. Yeah, they definitely need more maps to do it that way. But <laughs> Right. I mean, they have really the map, map pool. Choices. They could go a little bit further into their map pool. But right. that's also uh, more difficult for them on, from an observer standpoint and so on and so forth. But I think it's it's totally doable. It's mm-hmm. I, I, For the finals, it should be. You've got a month pretty much off, so figure it out at that time from an observer standpoint. Yeah, that was another criticism that we talked about, about how there was a month between the actual like season ending and then the playoffs, too. And, you know, there's got to be some better way to organize that. I don't know how, but... It was their first season. Perhaps they couldn't find a venue to host those finals until a month after they ended the regular season. It just literally just logistics. Um, And since they're playing in Los Angeles for the most part and having the finals in Brooklyn, New York is just it's a big change. It's a big difference for the company, for the orgs, that kind of thing. I I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. Of course, the London Spitfire came out victorious. They didn't. They didn't drop a map. Well, they, they yeah, they didn't drop a map at all. <laughs> I think they? They, I think I think it was three one the first day and then three zero the second. Okay, but yes, yeah, so either way, they, they it pretty was, much didn't. <laughs> it was a dominant performance, yeah. and Profit earned that MVP. He earned that title yeah. beyond belief. I. Just couldn't believe the level of play that was coming out of that team. Yeah, I think on on day one, Jester got MVP, but overall, I think Profit was probably even in the running for that that day, uh, especially what he did on Volskaya at the very, very end of day one, which was this kind of total flank maneuver where they were just able to get <laughs> it. It's, it always seems like they were able to uh, trick uh, Philadelphia in the final moments right they would just do this kind of split or divide and flank and they were always able to pull it off profit had a 5k on the very very end where he was able to essentially ride the platform around hide sneak back around in the back line and then when everybody opened up in their assault nobody checked their flank and he came in removed neptuno so there goes one of your 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 best healer essentially and then he just continued to chew through them one after one after one or one after another and that's because they're all like like nobody even knew it in fact it wasn't even really televised until after the fact where they showed it from his perspective because you couldn't even see him he was moving around so fast and right you're just oh, but if you looked at the kill feed, it was like profit psh, profit 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 and you're just like killing everybody they're like going nuts and it was just amazing <laughs> an amazing way to end that tournament um on top of what they did on king's row um to to finish it out which was dive in split everybody and then just having i think it was maybe birdering just picking people off with Widowmaker. they're able to yep. just push them out of uh, of the point and hold it and it was just again just dividing and conquered they they definitely practiced their strats they just picked uh philly apart they fell into like almost every trap every time and, and congrats to philly to get to this point but yeah. spitfire spitfire would have taken out anybody 
that they were going up against. NYXL doesn't matter. I think they just had the strats and they, it's a, it's a team that everybody assumed at the beginning of the year would, would perform, even though they kind of had their little drought in, you know, stage two, stage three, it's definitely that team. And wow, that was just, it was great. It was great, great set of matches. I was really happy to see it. I was really happy to see the turnout. I was really happy to see people be excited about it. Yeah, I mean, well done, Overwatch League. I know that it was there was some skepticism from certain members of this podcast about about whether the inaugural season was yeah. going to be what it was, and they they showed that. I mean, it was very clear that they've studied the way that that current sports leagues work, tried to emulate a lot of the ways that they worked, um, did it in certain ways that that really have not been done in esports, making it a more regional based focus. Um, it works. It does. does. They brought in these major sponsors for the finals that just, it's just like, this felt like the NFL. It felt Mm -hmm. like the NBA. Yeah. So well done. And it was across all these different platforms. Now, again, we, we, we talked a little bit about the numbers, the numbers on a TV standpoint weren't exactly amazing. Right. So if you look at it compared to what a normal, like I say, a Nielsen rating, a TV rating would be, it wasn't uh, the greatest. In fact, I think they had even talked about how some of the shows preceding or following it even saw as much as like a 20% drop in viewership because people weren't watching. However, there's this argument to be made. And I think Red Eye had also mentioned on on Twitter, um, or actually did it on like, I think it's called Luckbox is a site that, that he occasionally writes op-eds on. And he was talking about does does esports or do esports need to succeed on TV? Do they, do, do they need TV at all? Right. Or does mm-hmm. TV need esports? And so it's mm-hmm. almost the other way around. And he says, inevitably he feels that, uh, or he feels that inevitably it's, it's going to come to esports. Sponsors are going to come to esports irregardless of TV while they, mm-hmm. while it's seen as esports getting to a much broader audience when it comes to TV he likens it to when like people that that shift between the radio and when TV came into existence essentially mm-hmm. a lot of after a while everybody started pouring their money into TV but now you've got TV and you've got streaming and cord cutting is essentially is is truly a thing and this entire generation has showed that they're much more willing to watch it on Twitch or the platform of their choice than they are to lock themselves in front of a TV right and so are we seeing at what point in time do we just see that tipping point of it just jumping into streaming itself and that being the priority platform and TV just trying to latch onto it in some way, shape, or form? Yeah, it's hard to say because you know that these were airing. Well, ESPN had the finals, Saturday finals at like 2, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, depending on your time zone. That's not super uber like prime time it's not you know you're not going to have people who are just going to stumble upon it uh, in july in the middle of summer because (laughs) you know the weather is actually nice and people are outside now let's say that that's like december and the weather's shitty and you know it's nine o'clock on on a friday night i i think it will change things i think it's interesting Mm -hmm. will that convert somebody who is going to go out on Twitter and say, this is not a sport. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't. And we saw plenty of that shit. But at the same time, 
I do think that it's becoming to the point where people are going to start sitting up and taking notice. And they are. They are they're sitting up and taking notice. If not for Overwatch League, if their parents and they're seeing that their kid is out there playing Fortnite and Fortnite shows up on ESPN and now all of a sudden their kids want to watch it with dad on the couch on Friday night. I do think that's going to change things. I do. I think it's going to we're we're working towards that world where it's going to be like, "Hey, what are we sitting down to right. watch tonight?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, right now it's 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 finding a way to get Twitch on your big screen, which is something that isn't just normally like subscribed to. I'm a cord cutter. I, I don't have cable. I don't I've had haven't had it for 2 plus years. Um and I don't miss it. So, <laughs> I don't. I don't watch well, ESPN. I don't watch football. Yeah. So, yeah. And even if you do have a large TV, a lot of people have devices such as, like, uh, you know, Apple TV, Fire TV, any Google TV, right. all the random uh, boxes you can have that would just funnel uh, basically web streaming services to your TV are just already there. And so you're still watching it essentially on Twitch but on a TV. And that's just right. – I, I think uh, – I think as we we move further along, I think this whole idea that esports being on TV might actually just be the wrong idea. And it's almost kind of like shoehorning it into an audience that maybe doesn't necessarily want it. And I'll tell you what, if anybody wants that age group audience, that kind of 14 to 34 audience essentially that is on Twitch, it is TV because they need that to survive. I mean, you look at like ESPN and how many people they've lost over the years in terms of subscribers. It's there. I mean, they're all turning to essentially streaming platforms anyways, like ESPN, even even Disney's doing it as well. And so this partnership between ESPN, Disney, and the Overwatch League is beneficial across the board, right? You can say, hey, we're on TV for the sponsors, and then ditto, the sp- TV can say, hey, we've got this age group watching at this point in time. So it's each, you know, they, they help each other out. And I think... In the end, it's going to start leaning towards people are just going to go to Twitch and or, or they're going to go to the streaming platforms and advertise there, essentially. Um, I don't think they've done a yeah. great job in the past, like Twitch of selling ads or whatever it may be. Um, but it could get into a weird spot where Twitch is selling ads against certain tournaments versus yeah. the tournaments themselves trying to find the sponsor route. So it may be something a little bit different. Uh, who knows? I'm not that guy to, to be able to predict the future on that. But I have this feeling that it is starting to... It, to to turn and I think Red Eye was definitely onto something. I mean, he's been around the esports for a long time, but he just he gets it. And so, yeah. Speaking of expansion, let's go ahead and hit this one more time before we we jump out to break. But uh, a couple of uh, rumors, uh, it's ESPN. Would say ESPN stories essentially coming around uh, of a couple different teams that are likely coming to the Overwatch League. So we've got Paris, uh, Ganzhou, and China coming. And then we hear now that the Atlanta spot was actually purchased by the Cox Group, which is the um, uh, the internet base, basically like the Time Warner ish, I believe. If I'm yeah. correct with Cox yeah. Group, yeah. Yes, they're internet cable in the South for sure, and other locations. But yeah, that one has definitely been confirmed that Atlanta is locked in, and so wow. yay Atlanta, they have an expansion team. Yeah. Um, the Paris and the Guangzhou expansions are still like rumors. They're not confirmed, but they seem to be pretty close. But what was interesting about the news that came out is that the increase in the price of the expansion slots yeah, now I for did, Overwatch I League, this, right? Yeah. It, that the inaugural 
season, the slots sold for $20 million each. Mm -hmm. That's never been truly confirmed, but it's rumored that that's how much it is. They're now saying that the expansion slots are expected to sell for 30 to $60 million, depending on region. Yeah, we, we definitely heard that number thrown around before, but we've not heard of anybody biting that number, really, essentially. And now the Cox yeah. Group is, is buying in at $30 million at, at a minimum. And I can say it's probably maybe a little bit more for Atlanta. I think that that area is just ripe for esports, especially oh, yeah. Overwatch. Uh, and I, I think that it's it's going to be a good thing for, for Atlanta and a good thing for, well, for Blizzard as well, because that's some good good money. I would say free money in some way, shape, or form, but it's not totally free. The production costs on Overwatch are huge. But I did want to jump over to the Paris and Guangzhou because those are two regions that they lack um, viewership. We talked about the, the Chinese numbers uh, being a huge portion normally of of viewership and if and quite often the largest portion. And, and they're, they're essentially missing that in a lot of ways because – they don't. They only have one team in China, and that team, well, <laughs> they they forgot to win this this past this past season. And and if you can get multiple teams in there, you can get uh, regionality going on in China as well. It will definitely help numbers. It will explode the scene there. The buy-in will be even greater, and I, and it makes sense for them to go there. It has been rumored yeah. as maybe Shanghai, or sorry, Shanghai already has a team, but it was rumored like a couple different places. Uh, Guangzhou, I don't think was one of the runs I had heard, but hey, it makes sense. <laughs> it does. It does. And, you know, it's just cool. It, we're going to see a lot of more news coming, I think, about this. Because now that the news has already begun, that there are ex- expansion shot slots being purchased, like... Who's out there making those deals right now that are that we don't even have a clue yet? What's funny is that my I I saw the news about the Atlanta slot and my friend who lives in in Atlanta I sent him the message in Discord and he was out to dinner with his parents having a <laughs> Saturday dinner and he's like, "Great, Jules, now I have to explain what Overwatch League is to my mom and dad." <laughs> and I said, "Well, good because you may want like someday." When when they start playing in the actual cities mm-hmm. of their origin, you know, home and away games, maybe you'll take them to an Overwatch League match. Maybe, maybe. And it's, it, again, <laughs> another team getting closer to a region, which I can physically go and watch it all the time. Uh, but uh, there was never a Seattle team. Still, still upsetting. But... Um, Atlanta is like second home being that E-League is there and, and family as well. So maybe I will just have to adopt Atlanta as my team for, for season two. It does kind of irk me that they're owned by uh, Cox and just as much as it does um, uh, Philly being owned by uh, which I'm gonna call it. Uh, what is the internet provider that everybody hates? Comcast. There we go. Comcast. So, yeah. Um, I'm blanking. Um, and I have Comcast. <laughs> I haven't. I, did, I haven't had them in a while. But anyways, that's part of the reason why we have constant internet drops right this evening while we're trying to to, to record. Thanks. Seven just angered the internet yeah. gods right See, in front of your maybe, eyes. <laughs> maybe if Philly had won that uh, that Overwatch money, they could have fixed the internet. Um, we know it won't happen. <laughs> Anyways, uh, with that, let's go ahead and jump to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit, just a little bit, about uh, H1Z1, Vainglory, and a little bit of PUBG. All right, and we are back, and we're going to talk about what is my favorite, favorite subject 
H1Z1. Well, it's not really my favorite, even in the slightest. But if you do remember uh, their little foray into, I guess, the esports before their actual league, uh, I, I was not a huge fan of it then. But uh, Battle Royale is launching, H1Z1 Battle Royale is launching on PlayStation uh, 4 on August 7th. This is them uh, essentially kicking out that uh, open beta and, and launching uh, on August 7th as a free-to-play game, which it's it's great for any of these games to expand. Uh, free-to-play games especially uh, work out really, really well on consoles. They have great adoptions. Uh, but what happens is now is <laughs> you sometimes splinter your audience and from a competitive standpoint. And so it'll yeah. be interesting to see what uh, Daybreaker H1Z1 does with their, if they decide to do it, maybe a console only league. We've seen Paladins do this. Uh, we've seen Smite do this. We've seen Rainbow Six do this. And, and so there's been a lot of groups that do center them out uh, between consoles versus, uh, you know, PC, the two diff- different leagues. Uh I, I'm wondering now, however, if, if H1Z1 has, you know, with the expansion of, of Fortnite and, and PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, if they have the numbers to do the expansion and make two leagues. Yeah, and that actually was something that I I wanted to ask you, if you, if you even knew, because um, H1Z1 Battle Royale has been around for quite some time. Yeah. Like, the game has been around for a while. So if you've been a player... Are you really gonna gonna drop your character progression and all the great loot that you've accumulated over time to go and build a new account on a PS4? What advantage do you get from doing that in the first place? It is it more that they're trying to just attract new people who may not be PC players, and that's just the basis of it. Because if you if you've been playing H1Z1 and you've been playing PUBG. I would say that more people are probably going to be gravitating towards PUBG. I've seen both of them. H1Z1 looks rough. <laughs> so It the, does. The, no, it's, it's, it even just looks aside. Let, let's think about what H1Z1 has to go against. I, I mean, they've got to go against Fortnite. Yeah. And I don't see H1Z1 isn't going to overtake that. They don't have a leg up as being a free-to-play game and Fortnite costing money, so the barrier entry is exactly the same. The right. only downside is that the people who are playing Fortnite on PS4 and not being able to share accounts, essentially, like on like on Switch or anything like that. So that's right. That I mean, that's the only real reason. But H1Z1 isn't on on the Switch either. It isn't on the same platform, so it's not really. Again, I, I don't see where H1Z1 has a leg up on any of the competition. And uh, historically it's been a buggy. They've all been essentially buggy in a lot of ways, but yeah, it's, I, 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 I don't see, I don't see if you're already playing it on PC, you've been playing it on PC for some time, jumping over to a console, not necessarily what you're probably going to do. Now, if you're wanting to play competitively on PS4, uh, say Fortnite, and now that's been ruined as of last week because anybody can be playing with a keyboard and mouse against you and you don't know it. Mm-hmm. So huzzah. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe H1Z1 competitively is is something that you would look at uh, on consoles if they actually spin up anything console-related in terms of e- um, esports. It's, There's it's, your incentive. Yeah. It's esports, the, right? The, the irony is that uh, before Fortnite, before PUBG, was H1Z1. And now it's last to hit consoles. 
it's yeah. really the the timing isn't there. I I I'm perfectly fine with H1Z1 esports being a thing. I, I I'm right. always for games being esports and there being something competitive about them and them being successful. I'm not against it. I just think this is going to fracture an audience more so than yeah. it'll bring people in because it's got there's so many games out there now that do the exact same thing and this doesn't have a leg up on any of them. No. And and it just feels like they're trying to jump on the train of the console like let's let's play our game on multiple platforms. Well, that's great. But where's the draw? I don't see it. So that's actually what I was wondering. It was like, okay. Um <laughs> because I don't know if you're if you're a PC player, okay, I'll say it this way. There there's games that have been on console that I would have been like, I don't want to play it on console. It's annoying to play on the, the joystick. Mm. I want to play that with mouse and keyboard. When it comes to PC, I'm like, yes, like this is awesome. But does it go the other way? Is it like the people that really, I don't see an H1Z1, a Battle Royale at all, being like more desirable to play on a joystick. Yeah. I don't. And maybe I'm either. wrong. I'm like, maybe it's because you can know. use keyboard mouse there as well. Yeah. Huzzah. Uh, anyways. Um, <laughs> but I would, I would actually, I mean, we, we, we talked a little bit about, I would love to see what happened uh, with uh, Fortnite and Sony's whole issue with like sharing account information with other, other consoles, whether or not that became a problem uh, and whether or not people abandoned Fortnite on PS4 essentially so that they go go either playing on P- pc or playing it on another console largely so that mm-hmm. they could share their account now i again i don't know um if that's actually a thing but if if people abandoned fortnite on ps4 because what for whatever reason maybe they're looking for something different to play in that genre on there so maybe they could capitalize on that a little bit but it still feels like they're very very late to game like just ridiculously late to the game for as long as that they've had H1Z1 being a thing. So, yeah. Um, true. Moving, uh, speaking of, uh, I guess you could say games changing platforms, uh, Vainglory, which has been largely silent on this esports front for the past year, uh, they're heading to PC and Mac. That's what was announced, I believe, just yesterday, even from the day we we're recording this. And Vainglory had a, again, a, predominantly has been mobile it's almost it well it's always been mobile but you can sometimes play it the people found ways to play it essentially with keyboard and mouse as well through emulators and so on and so forth but it is a mobile game and that was its selling point it was 3v3 moba um and they had a deal with twitch they were really well known they had the vainglory league and then at the tail end of last year they announced that they were doing 5v5, which everybody was like, oh, we've been waiting for 5v5. But there's the splintering again of your esports audience. You had everybody being 3v3. We had people like TSM buying in, Cloud9, I think it was even there. Uh, we've had a lot of the, the actual big name teams like Tempo Storm all buying into Vainglory League. They come out 5v5, they kind of fracture their esports scene, and then they ditch their esports scene to get everything working and everything properly going. So they said, but really what they were doing was building a PC and Mac client <laughs> in an honesty. <laughs> so now you have something that's been predominantly mobile going and trying to re- not necessarily revive itself. Um, I've always known that Super Evil Megacorp has had something that they want to do with their game as a platform, 
not necessarily just Vainglory, but the, their tech behind it. So Jules, as a player, you, you've invested your time competitively in 3v3. They bring out 5v5. It changes the landscape. Your the, the group running, essentially, your esports league decides to bow out from running an esports league. Now you splinter platforms. As a player, well, how, do you, how do you feel about this? As a player, if I were a current player, I would feel pretty bad. But I do think that this method and this, this strategy is meant to draw in new players to the game. Because you're not, you're gonna get people who have probably never picked up Vainglory on their mobile device ever, who are gonna be like, oh, Mac and PC, maybe I'll give this game a shot. I I would definitely and give. That, I'll, I'll I do feel it. like it's yeah. a reversal, right? Yeah, like would you try it? You probably would try it. Um, I don't ever really see myself wanting to play a MOBA on my phone ever. <laughs> there, there's that audience. Yes. Yeah, and 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 so that's the that's the draw that you would get. But again. I think they're doing it in a way that will draw people in a little bit more because you're going to go after the mouse and keyboard audience. Mm -hmm. That's not a console fan They're, You know, I don't, I don't see them as the same, the same genre, like a, a, a person who wants to play a MOBA on their mobile device is not the same as someone who plays mouse and keyboard. Yeah. I, maybe they are, maybe they are, but I do think that that method of them bringing it, to pc and mac is to draw new players maybe build a new league on that platform and just be like f it we're done with the mobile stuff i don't know yeah i, I think you you definitely touched on something that the, there is a very different audience that's willing to play moba on a mobile phone versus one that is going to do it with a mouse and keyboard on a pc or mac and so on the, on the flip side though they're trying to make a grab or uh, i guess you could say a, a play for for more uh, players more more bodies essentially or more viewers if they get in from an esports standpoint but they're also running up with a lot of against a lot of competition in that space one of the things they had going right. for them on the mobile side is they were essentially the like hardcore moba you know, game on the mobile platforms and it did and it performed really well and people were super surprised at how well it did even on mobiles in terms of just from a gameplay standpoint and from a su success standpoint in esports now, now they've got they're they're trying to bite into a market that we've seen bigger companies with a lot more money, a lot more time invested, a la Blizzard and Heroes of the Storm, not be able to bite off a huge, huge portion of that audience in terms of away from like League of Legends, and now they've right. even got to go up against things like Smite, right, and and and. That, that landscape has already kind of solidified in a lot of ways. We've seen a lot of MOBAs come out, just burn out and die. And if you have two very distinct player groups, the mobile group who doesn't play on PC and Mac and the PC and Mac group that doesn't play on mobile, how much of that audience are you going to pull over to try and boost your numbers on that PC and Mac side? I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I that goes. Either. I don't know if there's another example of this either where it's a mobile platform trying to move into PC Mac. I don't know if that's if there's a good no. example that would be able to go to to say this was the formula that worked for them or it failed miserably. So this is going to be an experiment for us to watch with our own eyes to see true. what it does. If anything, if anything, I mean, with from a Hearthstone standpoint, we've seen them. They came out with the original PC Mac client first, and then they switched over to mobile. And then after, I think within the first year, mobile actually overtook the amount of PC and Mac installs. So there was more people on mobile than there was actually uh, on a desktop. 
But it wasn't the reverse, right? And they weren't trying to make a play and dive into a market that was already saturated and already has multiple leagues running in it, right? And so, mm-hmm. uh, it, so that flip over to mobile was just there was just an empty whole gap being waiting to be filled by a competitive card game, largely. And Magic the Gathering wasn't doing anything on mobile. Essentially, they were still invested in PC, and Blizzard just had the built-in audience from being Blizzard it was able to jump in there. And uh, overall, it was just a, a solid, solid game. And so, you're right. There, there is no precedent from a from a MOBA standpoint from someone going from a a mobile only to PC or Mac. And I don't, I don't know where it fits in. Um, I love Super Evil Megacorp. I like Vainglory. It's a great game. I love the people that are in, invested into it and play it. The community is great. They're very angry right now for a lot of good reasons. You know, your developer has essentially been focusing on, on, on making their game better or developing their game, but they've also been making a client as essentially for a desktop, which a lot of these people who've been like, I've been playing this game mobile on, on mobile for now for four years this is what I'm invested in. You've changed formats and you've now changed platforms. I'm wondering if that audience just feels lost or I, I guess I should have looked more into it, whether or not they actually feel lost or what happened. Um, but it's quite possible that that's, that's what's going on. So yeah. Yeah. Speaking of things that may not be ready for the esports scene, uh, let's go ahead and jump over to our next story, which is around Brendan green. Uh, the, 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 Basically, the man behind Player Unknown's Battleground—that's his name, Player Unknown. Well, it's not really his name; it's his moniker, I guess, his nickname. But, anyways, uh, was recently at the PUBG Global Invitational this past weekend, and as he said a couple times before, uh, he doesn't feel that it's actually esports ready. And as Brian and I sat down with him in, I believe it was like PAX South, when but right before it came out. He even mentioned, you know, we want to get into esports. It's something that we really, really want to do. We want to build it from the ground up. We've been talking to observers. We've been talking to casters. We've been talking to players on how we can make it a much better game and how we can make it essentially something that is very good for esports. Now, with PUBG uh, having this kind of big display of here it is on the global stage, I guess you could say. They're doing third-person tournaments for the first time as well versus on top of the normal first-person tournament. He's going and saying, it's still not ready. We want to essentially do what Super Evil Megacorp has done, or with Vainglory, which is we want to knuckle down and and fix a lot of the problems that make it not esports ready. But we we also need to figure out how to fix all these bugs and maintain a league and keep it going and stabilize this platform. It's still one of those games that it's very difficult to watch. It's very difficult to figure out. There's been some improvements, but what's your take Jules? What, what, what is it, what's it going to take for PUBG to become quote unquote esports ready? So I watched some of the global invitation. I watched the uh, first person tournament and so my impression of it was very much like, it is watching like a 
a PUBG stream. You spend a whole bunch of time out there gathering <laughs> up your your loot, and everybody's going to get their positions. And maybe there's a couple people that drop in the same area, but most of the time they don't. And so it's very slow in the beginning. You're just kind of like gathering up who's got what, who's got the level three vest, who's got the cool you know gun here, the ammo here, and then it becomes this like slow build into this massive free for all. Because each team knows how to position themselves so well that they're literally like laid out in a like a small circle area <laughs> on the ground, behind rocks, under trees, you know. But it's literally just circle that dictates the action. It, it's not necessarily a lot of, to me, it didn't feel like it was a lot of like major strategy, like trying to bait this team out. Like, no, the circle's going to... Circle spawn is going to determine who's running where and what positioning they are. And the casters did a really nice job to build the hype. Like they were just like, oh, no, this guy got knocked and this was blood. (laughs) And I just kind of sat there. I'm like, yeah, so it's just going to be. It is a free for all. Who's going to be lucky enough to Mm. be in a spot where they can hide and the other team can't to be able to kill them? That's kind of how I saw it. And then the the team that actually won the first person tournament was a Chinese team called OMG. And they had one of their players that had like some crazy amount of kills that was like it was in like the 40, 45 or something like that kills across the different tournaments, the different rounds. And the next guy behind him was like he had like 17 or something like that. So this one guy was this massive like killing machine nice and the other guys were just like yeah okay we're we're all kind of packed up there's like no way we can catch him for the top spot so how does this get better i don't (laughs) know because it was boring to me (laughs) here's one of the things uh and watching pubg tournaments i actually i i do enjoy them i agree that they're difficult to follow in some ways until you get down to like that last like three minutes and then it's super mm-hmm. intense and it's super stressful. But a lot of it is also I know the map that they're playing on, right? I know the ins and outs of it to a a viewer who is not familiar with it. It doesn't have the um, understanding that like Rocket League does, which we talk a lot about. Yeah. Like you can just – you could be in a bar with Rocket League on and not understand anything about the mechanics or the map or whatever it may be. But you understand like, oh, okay, it's pretty much like – basketball slash soccer essentially or soccer with cars i get it done and it makes sense ball goes in goal people get points makes right um whereas uh something like PUBG, okay people have guns and they shoot each other but i don't know what's going on uh, i don't know which team is which because they look you know the, they can look similar the same different whatever it may be yeah, there's no real rhyme or reason to it necessarily um, and sometimes you're on a camera angle that is somebody who's laying down behind a car and it doesn't just work very well, uh, in that kind of, you know, again, on a TV in a bar, people just kind of casually viewing it. They don't understand a hundred percent of the, the nuances and so on and so forth. The irony here is that when it gets down to those final moments, it can be very much like a, a chess match. It can be a lot like a, a CS go, which is, mm-hmm. um, a lot of maneuvering, setting up smokes, positioning, doing whatever. All of a sudden, it's like action, 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 done, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, but it is very much like a slow-moving chess match to begin with, and there's a lot behind it. And there's a lot of depth in PUBG esports, but there's also a lot of things that aren't 
uh, and some of it is still left open to randomness. And so I do want to talk a little bit about what Brendan did say. He did expand on, you know, essentially what it meant for esports or for PUBG to become esports ready. And then is he says, we really want to stabilize the platform, which makes sense. Uh, he says, we also need to make the game competitive. And that means getting all those nitty gritty bugs out and the quality of life improvements that the players want. And we also want to add in new f- features and functionality to the game. Mm-hmm. Features and functionality needs to be, uh, how do we keep the action going from an esports standpoint? How do we level the randomness of it, right? You may drop into an area and there not be any kind of gear there, Right. Even though it may be a place where it generally has a higher percentage of spawning, but you could just totally land on a roof and there's nothing there, whatever it may be. Or I could buck out and who knows, you die while landing, which also happens. <laughs> um, but on top of that, I mean, you there's still some strategy around that. Do I land on school? Do I, do I land in this other area or this other area? Do I want to make sure, am, am I going for a, a car first so we can all get together? So on and so forth. There's a lot of strategy around where you land, but... There's also a lot of randomness that happens there. And so that takes a competitive side from it in, in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. you can perform the exact same strat every time and walk away from it with completely different gear and it totally yeah. change your end game or maybe you don't even get to the end game, which is why you see a lot of teams. Uh, I think it was the third person player one that was uh, was a Genji Black, Genji Gold ended up winning. Uh, third person, uh, the third person tournament, but on at the end of day one was like Genji Black, I think, and maybe it was like Tempo Storm or somebody was like number one. They're like clear favorites to win it, but it got leapfrogged by someone who was like fourth, fifth place simply because they performed well in the second day. And so again, we've <laughs> so many things can and can cause huge swings, and so. I don't know and 100% where I'm going with all this, Jules. You were supposed to just like yeah. wave me into a, like a parking spot or somewhere. <laughs> but I, I think it still has potential. And I think a, saying that we're not ready is a good way of saying that we're, you know, we, we need to make changes. We need to make quality of life from a viewership standpoint um, and a player standpoint to, to make this actually something more competitive and more entertaining to watch. Overwatch went yeah. through a lot of the same problems. Still has a lot of the same problems, honestly. Mm-hmm. The overhead casters mm-hmm. match uh, map is, is also a nice thing to have. We've seen some changes in PUBG, uh, largely through like you know showing the map of where players are to get just you know a sense of a context. But eh, I don't know. I, I think there's it's still there. It still definitely has potential. It feels like it's stabilizing. I think the PUBG uh, Global Invitation was a great event for the, for them. Mm-hmm. Didn't come away with a lot of people just complaining about this, that, and the other. But it felt it, well hyped and it felt well received. And yeah. I think they've, they're even though they're not ready, they're taking the right steps. Yeah, it, it, I just have to note that this whole thing came for them having an esport, a major invitational esports tournament for PUBG. And coming out and saying we're we're not ready. <laughs> I just yes. I, I, when I read this, Ironic, I was like, but I, I don't. I, I mean, I I, I applaud <laughs> their honesty about it, but it was is that really was that really the right forum for them to have it? Because they did pull out the stops. They invited Overwatch, some of the big streamers to come. Overwatch did the exact same thing. They did the the global uh, invitational or the the global 
championship. They did it at BlizzCon before they actually, the same time that they, I think they announced the actual Overwatch League itself. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was, was it, yeah, it had to have been that time. <laughs> or maybe it was following it, I guess. Um, so they, again, no real actual league presence there. But they were, and they also said during it, like, we're making some changes. You know, we're debuting some, some of the changes we think that make it a better viewing experience, like the team colors, uh, effects having the same color. So I think there's a lot of those things that they need to figure out as well. And mm-hmm. in, in Overwatch, like, one of the things, and I'm kind of going off on a weird tangent, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> one of the weird things is, like, in Overwatch, you could everybody looking and having different colors, whatever, isn't really meaningful because nobody ever blends into the game and it's not realistic, right? You never blend in with, like, your surroundings, really. Where in in PUBG, that's part of it, right? Being able to kind of hide and, and move slowly and, and some people don't like to run with backpacks for certain reasons and so on and so forth. Some of that is really helpful and is part of a, a it has a competitive edge to it so if you hinder someone essentially by like okay you're the bright blue team well i can see that bright blue person in the grass <laughs> or i can see the bright orange player in the grass because now they have a, a basically a team jersey or look or feel which is why i think historically PUBG has always had this kind of muted palette a lot of people complain that like it looks ugly but it's muted for a reason so that it can kind of blend in with a lot of these different areas and they haven't gone right. way up above and beyond like Fortnite has because you there isn't really any advantage to hiding so much in Fortnite. It's what do you build? But right, I don't know. right, exactly. It's hard. It's I think they're in a different spot than Overwatch League, and they're in a different spot than Fortnite. But that's just me. But they know mm-hmm. it. They know they're not ready, and they announced it on a stage after they invited everybody and their mother. <laughs> the spotlights <laughs> on them. Brenda Green's like, yeah, we're not ready. I'm like, well, you should have thought about that before you got everybody together. But yeah. But the tournament was well done. Yeah. It was well coordinated. It, you know, I I don't know if I'll be hanging out to watch a lot of PUBG tournaments going forward. Well, that ends our show because we no longer have jewels on the show. No, I'm joking. Yeah, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just done. No. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. I, I think, I don't even know if really the 100 person or 80 person tournament everybody dropping into zone is the actual format for them maybe it's something completely different different map different style who knows maybe it's something else i don't feel like they experiment enough if fortnite experiment experiments a ton on different modes and such Mm -hmm. and i think they learn a lot from it i think they maybe have something up their sleeve or at least i hope they have a a more than like five sentence word blog posts of stuff coming in the future around what they're going to do esports wise but uh, again, they, they've got a lot to learn. They're in a different space than everybody else. And it may, I don't know, it may not be a thing. It may never be it a thing. It may not be. But I, I, I like it. I can still watch it. <laughs> okay. Anyways. Uh, that's fair. Anyways. That's fair. You watch it. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and jump to our uh, last break here. We're going to come back. I'm going to try not to talk about Hearthstone for another hour. But we're going to come back and talk about Hearthstone. And, of course... Our, uh, our our fun hopefully won't completely derail us this time. Uh, silly esports-ish news. So, yeah, we'll be back in just a second. All right, and we are back. And Hearthstone has its very first master, Hunter Ace, unsurprisingly, uh, who did very, very well at uh, ACT Tokyo this past 
weekend. I think he got uh, placed top four, I believe, is all he needed to do to actually get master. He didn't need to win this one like he wins everything else. But he did uh, manage to make top four. I think it's top four. It could have been top eight. But either way, he made enough enough from a point standpoint to put him over that 150 mark, making him the very first Hearthstone Masters one star. And uh, that's just crazy because when they came out with this, I don't know if you know this, but when they originally came out with this, this is like a two-season long, essentially, or two-year-long running points. Like... Oh really? Thing. Yeah, it's that it's that long. Yeah, it's supposed to be 150 points over two years to get masters. Like they and he's not even done with year one, and he's already a master. They didn't wow. expect it to happen this fast, which is why when you look at it, they're like, yeah, to monthly tournaments that will have that uh, you automatically get invited to these monthly online tournaments that have cash money, whatever winnings pots, and uh, those don't exist. <laughs> They, they don't exist yet because, um, well, I guess they didn't expect anybody to be there yet. And I think they figured they would have until next year to f- sort that out. Now, figure it out. Yeah. I, I mean, they could do some stuff. I don't know how they fulfill that end point of it. But if, if he does get to like 175 or 200, which he could easily do this year, um, he will actually get uh, money to attend tournaments essentially like i think it's up to one for um the the two star and then he gets like three tournaments if he's a three star which like auto invites to other tournaments um i mean the guy has been on a tear from a tournament standpoint Mm -hmm. obviously if he's at 151 points thus far and uh yeah I, i he's a person who is um just done incredibly incredibly well in tournaments from a, just an understanding the meta and what might be brought to it i don't know how he does it he kind of popularized this kind of two and two meta where you bring like two aggro and you bring two control decks so you're inevitably going to kind of push your uh opponent into a match that they don't really like to have but this time around he went like full-on aggro which historically has done bad for people but this time around he makes top four like I don't get it. He's just yeah. a whis- card whis- whisperer. I don't know how he does it. So congrats to Hunter Ace for being the, the first Hearthstone master, I guess you could say, even if it is a one-star master. He's got a little ways to go. So more news in the uh, Hearthstone competitive scene. We actually have, uh, what was it, um, uh, the ex-Planet Odd members, which disbanded back in May. That's Surrender, Sixo, uh, and Hoy. Uh, have been picked up and signed by SK, SK Telecom T1, which is actually their first Hearthstone team. And on top being of being uh, SK T1's or SKT T1's first uh, team, it's also really rare for them because they've actually picked up uh, two players who are uh, from the West, essentially. So you've got uh, uh, Zixo and Hoi, who obviously are not from uh, South Korea, and Surrender, who is the most notable i would say south korean player especially from a competitive standpoint at this point in time and uh he's also representing them in the asian games and so it's it's great because according to surrender originally sk telecom t1 was just going to back him and he's like no 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 no. you got to get in Zixo and hoi which mm-hmm. uh hoi and uh, Zixo are longtime players they've been competitive for quite some time and 
seeing them get like all the three of them lose their team essentially in May was kind of heartbreaking. Um, but it's cool to see them all back together again. Obviously, I think Zixo is one of those people who is plays more of the, I guess you could say more of the the coach. I, I think in this one he's more of like the deck builder. Um, but Surrender and Hoy just fantastic players. Surrender is just vicious. If anybody had went on a tear last year with Surrender, I think he won like two of the championship, uh, like seasonal championships. Just a vicious player. <laughs> um, uh, I guess you could say from vicious in a card standpoint but this is good this is good to see an organization that was disbanded and now back together or picked up by another group that's awesome i have nothing to add to this except congratulations for them to have a new team because that's (laughs) awesome (laughs) (laughs) all right so now you've got to add something because we're down to our our final story of the day which is epic games partners with spirit halloween and spencer's to release to release fortnite halloween costumes this is going to be ridiculous that's all I, I can think say. It is the smartest thing that they could have ever done. Yeah. You capitalize on the most popular game, yep. the most popular phenomenon of 2018 for that age group and sell them Halloween costumes. Like, and now it's a, a, like an exclusive, like this is Halloween costumes only available at Spirit Halloween and Spencer's. Like they're going to make so much money. I just want the boogie bomb. That's what I want. I want the light up boogie bomb. Just crazy. And walk around with it. Halloween is my favorite holiday. Be like, I don't care. I've never used a boogie bomb in game, <laughs> but I'm walking around with it. Because it's awesome. I don't know. Cuddle Trooper is always a fun one to have. I, the thing that's interesting about this is that it's it's only going to happen during Halloween. I can't imagine like these knots like, essentially selling out, people going crazy. We're going to see them all over the place. Uh, it's pretty damn ridiculous. And now the fact that people are going to be allowed to, not allowed to, but are going to be dressing up as these Fortnite skins... The amount of dumb YouTube videos that are going to come out of this uh, will be <laughs> astounding from a cultural phenomena standpoint that we've we've tried to say or everybody's said before. We'll say, okay, we're there, whatever, Jules, we're there. Uh, uh-huh. Now we have we have costumes at Spencer's, so obviously we've bridged the gap when it comes to Fortnite being a thing in in the non gaming world. Stream, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Seven, you can buy an adult size cuddle trooper kit and wear it on our next, like our Halloween episode. Uh, this would be, this would be like the total circle of everything coming together of saying cultural phenomenon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Where's your closest spirit? Halloween. Where is it? <laughs> Go look it up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. Um, you know, it could have been worse. It could have been like Hot Topic got these. So. I don't know, but this is actually whoever worked this deal. It's a money maker. I, I honestly, I can't believe uh, that this is a thing. But it is a Effing thing. Brilliant, effing brilliant. I think we joke about the fact that it, you know, this being like the the silly news of the day. It's just, it's just, it's going to be weird that during Halloween to see little kids running around, <laughs> especially when uh, I don't know. It's just. It's a strange, I think, I'll just leave it as this. It's a strange world that we live in now. Well, now that you have moved and now that you'll be mm-hmm. in your own place for Halloween, you'll have kids ringing the doorbell and you will be like, I know your costume. And not that 
you know that thing where you kind of go what are you again <laughs> yeah like <laughs> you're a strange like... love bear with a gun <laughs> what does that, what does that mean <laughs> um yeah <laughs> no i love it i think it's uh, awesome i highly suggest and, not going around saying to people that you're a strange love bear but uh, going to the door and saying that now yeah. no yeah please don't do it <laughs> I wonder what kind of creative names people are going to come up with as to what they are when it comes to they go to a door like a kid wearing this, an adult wearing this. Let's just be honest. Uh, I might go out and get some free candy this way. I got to pay for that like $60 costume you're getting. But um, yeah, like what, Excuse what do you me, say? Did you, you say fork knife? Is that what you were saying? <laughs> fork knife? <laughs> <laughs> love bear. Cuddle love bear. What? No, I don't know. Anyways, all that aside, uh, yeah, that's a show. I think we're calling it a show. Uh, next week, I believe Brian is back. Um, he is. He's been, we'll be back to your regular grumpy home program where Brian's just like, seven, don't talk about Hearthstone. Uh, and he has all the good reasons for that. But <laughs> anyway. We let you do it today. We did. We let you do You went to town on it today. Because it was a slow news week. I get it. I get it. <laughs> hey, whatever it'll do to fill the slots. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. And so with that, uh, we'll go ahead and call the show. You can catch our latest episode every Wednesday, basically, on iTunes, Overcast, Pocket Cast, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and, of course, our site over there at nerfthis.gg. If I don't script the show notes and make everybody wonder what the hell just happened, uh, if you do uh, get a chance, please drop by iTunes. Give us a review. Uh, that helps people discover the show Tell people that, uh, hey, don't set your expectations too high, but it is a five-star show. That's what I would leave. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, and also for any kind of uh, additional content or bonus content, I guess you, say, you can hit us up over there at Instagram, which is uh, nerfthis. Or nerfthisgg, or on Twitter, which is at nerfthiscrew. And you can also hit us up via email and let, you know, let us know how you feel. Surprisingly, I didn't get a bunch of people blowing up about last week's silly silly article that i know of um I st i'm still employed so that's good um but yeah yes shoot us any of those things over there at uh, show at nerf and with that i think we're gonna call the show thank you jules for stepping in and being way more professional than i am <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me this last two weeks I'll see you guys soon <laughs> We'll be right